you guys ever noticed like weird eating habits of other people? Have you ever noticed like some of your family has like weird eating habits or anything like that? So I got made fun of for one of my weird eating habits as I was eating Easter dinner this last Sunday. I do a couple of things whenever I eat that um, have been brought to my attention that are weird. Um, The first one is this, that is anybody else in here like you don't like your food to touch on the plate? Like you're like, you know, mashed potatoes and green beans shouldn't touch, right? Like ever, you know, I, I do that. And so I, I'll kind of like separate the food and then as I'm eating, I'll eat like one food thing at a time. Like I eat all the green beans and then all the mashed potatoes and then the ham, you, like that kind of thing, right? Well, <clears throat> the second thing that I do is when I get my plate like full of food, okay, I, like I load it up on green beans and mashed potatoes and mac and cheese and ham and, you know, all this different stuff. I've got it all loaded up on the plate. When I sit down, before I begin to eat, I methodically work my way around the plate and I cut up anything that needs to be cut up into bite-sized pieces. Like, I'll cut the meat off, you know, if it's steak, I'm cutting the steak up and I'm cutting it off the bone, right? And, like, I'll cut it into these little bite-sized pieces. And then, after everything is cut up, then I can start eating, right? And so, apparently, what I didn't realize is that I do this a lot, like, Every time I sit down to eat a meal. And so it doesn't matter if it's like chicken or ham or steak or a baked potato or whatever it is. I'm going to like cut it up. And so a few years ago, I was sitting with a family friend. His name's Brad. And um, we were eating breakfast together at his house. And we're sitting there in his kitchen. And I've got fried eggs and bacon on my plate. And um, I'm sitting there with these fried eggs on my plate. And when I get fried eggs... I do what I always do. I cut them up, right? And I get them all cut up, and I like them just a little bit runny, so I get a little bit of runny yolk in there, and I kind of mix it in with the rest of the eggs, and I'm mixing up my eggs, you know, and like, got it all cut up, and and, and Brad is like sitting there, he's like, dude, you do exactly what your dad does. Why didn't you just cook a scrambled egg? You just mixed it all up anyway. And I'm like, why are you hating, dude? Like, let me eat my eggs, you know? Like, he, and he made the same. He's like, he's like, it's like you're a little kid. And I was like, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, I took a little offense, you know? Like, I'm getting a little, am like, dude, have you seen my plate? There's bacon and eggs galore. On, I'm fixing to throw down full-grown man style on this breakfast. I am not a little kid. <clears throat> but I got to thinking about it. Like, why do I cut up my eggs like this? <laughs> Nobody else around the table cuts up their eggs. By the time I'm done fixing my plate and cutting up all my stuff, everybody else is halfway done eating. And I've never even noticed this until he said something. And then I got to thinking about it. And I think it comes from my grandmother on my dad's side used to watch all the grandkids. And every morning she would make us breakfast and she would make us some fried eggs and, you know, whatever we were having that day. And then she would cut them up for us, right? And then, and then we could eat breakfast, right? And I'd do the same thing for my, for my baby girls, right? Because my three-year-old with a knife is just a bad idea. So I'm going to cut up her food and give it to her. And, you know, but, so I do this for my babies because they're babies, right? But why do I do this for me? Like, why am I cutting up my food? I didn't like, it's not like a family thing. Apparently my dad and I do it, but nobody else in our family does it. And here's the thing. I don't ever remember my grandmother sitting me down and going, okay, Heath, listen, we need to have a talk. 
here's how you cut up eggs before you eat your eggs. This is a life lesson you need to learn. Like, I don't think she ever told me that. I didn't learn it in school. It's not like a biblical principle. Like, so where did this thing come from? That is what the Bible would refer to as a pattern of this world. And if you go to Romans 12, chapter 2, you'll read this. <clears throat> Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. <clears throat> now, for honest, I don't think I'm ever going to have to apologize to Jesus for cutting up my eggs into little bite-sized pieces, right? Like, I don't think he cares that I cut up my eggs. But I'm willing to bet that there are some things that all of us could point to in our lives that we learned from the patterns of this world that aren't as innocent as cutting up eggs. I'm talking about like old patterns of this world that got planted in us or taught to us without us even realizing it. And if we're not careful, we just live our lives as though these things are supposed to be in our lives. Like it's a part of who we are. It's in our DNA. It's just who I am. It's who God created me to be. When the truth is, it wasn't planted there by the Lord. It was planted there by the world. And if we're not careful, we'll end up being conformed or molded by a pattern of this world rather than transformed by the renewing of our mind. <clears throat> One area that I think we're conformed to the pattern of this world in without even knowing it is how we relate to others. Which brings us straight into our topic for tonight's discussion. We're in our Unstuck series. We're talking about overcoming things in life. And tonight we're talking about overcoming drama. Now, if we're honest, none of us in here would say that we like drama, right? Drama sounds so negative, so cliche. But think about it for a minute. <clears throat> we totally celebrate great drama in movies, don't we? We totally celebrate great drama on Television. <clears throat> How many of you, like, you do not interrupt your grandmother's novellas, right? <laughs> Otherwise, there will not just be drama on TV, there will be drama in your home, right? Like, you don't interrupt grandma's TV. <clears throat> we celebrate great drama on TV. We celebrate drama by liking and sharing social media posts that we know are going to stir the pot or get under somebody's skin, get somebody all fired up. But you know what? It was somebody else's post. I just shared it. I didn't really say it. <clears throat> the truth is, we celebrate drama because it's kind of what we grew up around for some of us. It's kind of what we've always known. It's a pattern of this world. And if we're not careful, we can get sucked into that pattern. <clears throat> Some of us grew up around drama and gossip. See, what I know is that, um, maybe you can relate to this, like when the girls get together, the girls like to talk about other girls. We call that gossip, right? Have you ever heard somebody like um, <clears throat> pray or maybe have a prayer request and instead of praying for someone, they're like praying about someone, you know? And, and like, it's, it's almost like the prayer is gossip. And it's just starting drama, right? Little key to gossip. Listen, if you're not a part of the problem and you're not a part of the solution, you're a part of the drama. You're a part of the gossip. So if you're not a part of the problem and you're not a part of the solution, the best idea is just to 
get out. Gossip is definitely a pattern of this world. Romans 12 says, reminds us that there's a pattern of this world that you grew up in. Maybe you learned it from your parents, your teachers, maybe from past experiences. And that pattern may not have been rooted in Christ. See, nowhere biblically does it tell me I need to cut up my eggs, but I learned that from somewhere, didn't I? Maybe you've never recognized it before. You just thought this is the way it's always been done and this is the way it's supposed to be done. And you've never really inspected why you do the things you do, why you think like you think. Tonight, I want us to look at how we handle relationships and see if maybe we are operating relationally according to a pattern of this world. Because for each of us, we all learn stuff from our past. Maybe from those family members. Maybe from those friends or from those experiences, good or bad. Maybe from teachers in school. But maybe some of that stuff that we learned doesn't line up with Scripture. Pete Scazzaro in The Emotionally Healthy Leader, he says this, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. And I get that, right? Because even though Jesus is in my heart, it's not like when I got saved, everything that I learned in my past was done away with in just a race. Now, Jesus took care of the sin, right? When you get saved, your spirit is washed clean. There is no longer any sin that is there. But our soul, our minds must be transformed according to the word of God. They don't get washed clean like our spirit does. So I think tonight that there's a need for some of us to look intentionally at how we handle relationships. And though we might be saved, maybe there's some things that we do or things that we say or maybe how we think that we didn't learn from the Lord, but maybe we learned it from our past. Maybe we learned it from something in the world. So according to the prophet Isaiah, Jesus made a sacrifice for us that would help us overcome those things from our past that still stick around and still exist in our lives even after we're saved. So he didn't just take care of the sin problem on the cross, but there's this verse in Isaiah 53, 5 that says, He, Jesus, was crushed for our iniquities. Now, this word iniquity is an interesting word. An iniquity is, is, is not learned from God, but it's learned from the world. It's, it's not even necessarily sin. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. If you were to go read another version, it would say he was bruised for our iniquities. Now, iniquity is not sin, but it could be maybe a perverse nature or a character flaw that might lead you to sin. It might be a habit that we picked up while we were growing up. It, it could be things that, developed with, that we developed within us maybe to protect ourselves from a bad experience that we had in our past. And iniquity could be something that we do without even realizing it. It's not necessarily sin. It, it, it could include those things that aren't blatantly sin, but, but they're things that lead us towards sin unless we allow the healing work of Jesus to go to work inside of our minds. It's a healing work that takes place after salvation. He was crushed for our iniquities so that we as his disciples could allow the Holy Spirit to go to work inside of us and clean house and make us holy. Holiness is a process. 
Salvation is like a light switch. It's on or off. You're either saved or you're not. But holiness is very much this process of we take this step with the Lord. And then he reveals something else. He says, hey, there's this thing that you learned in the past that doesn't really line up with my word. And I need to take care of that too. And he was crushed for our iniquities. Those are the iniquities. And then we take the next step towards holiness. And the Lord helps us in this process. He made the sacrifice so that we could overcome not just sin, but the iniquity that might hold us back. One of my relational iniquities has to do with the fact that like, I don't naturally back down from a fight. It, it, it's not in my DNA. Even at the cost of a lot of drama, it, man, when it's fight or flight, I'm usually in the fight category. Now, I, I know this about myself, and I have to restrain myself at times. Otherwise, like, truthfully, things can go from zero to 100, like, real quick, right? <laughs> and, and, and some of you guys understand that. So I got to thinking about why that was. And, and when I was younger, probably like five or six, um, <clears throat> I was playing in my grandparents' front yard with the other grandkids. And I, I remember this car came, like, speeding around the corner onto my grandfather's street, And my grandfather decided he didn't like that because it was endangering his grandkids. So my grandfather runs out into the street and starts hollering and yelling at this car. Now, the driver stops and starts hollering and yelling back, which did not help the drama in the situation at all. Okay? Things elevated quickly. They escalated quickly. And before I know it, my grandfather is telling this driver in not so nice of words, he needs to slow down on his street. And the driver is telling my grandfather, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to my house, get my boys, come back and whoop you. My grandfather, my grandfather said, you better bring everyone you got. (laughs) And the car speeds off. My grandfather, at this point, turns around, goes to his vehicle, grabs his 12-gauge shotgun, and starts loading the shotgun. Now, for those of you that are hunters, you understand that when you're hunting dove, there's a plug that, re- that restricts how many shells you can put, put in the shotgun. The plug got removed, and more shells got inserted into the gun. And my grandfather is like, he's walking out to the street. He's like, let's go, you know? And now... When you're five or six and your grandfather is acting like John Wayne, you think that's awesome. And you start taking notes. Something was planted in me that day. Never back down from a fight. I learned something that day. You never back down from a fight, especially when it has to do with your family. I wasn't saved back then. But when it came to fight or flight, I was in the fight category. And I can think back to times throughout my like elementary and junior high years when, when, um, when I got in fights like over little stuff. <clears throat> See, my anger can turn into yelling and it can get physical in a hurry, but that's a pattern of this world. And if I allow my anger to cause me to sin, if I adhere to the pattern of this world, then... My anger can ruin relationships for me. And if we're honest, now that I'm a Christian, now that I'm a Christ follower, I don't get to adhere to the same standards and rules that I learned back then. Now that I'm a Christ follower, something's got to change in here. Why? 
Because Jesus has been working in here. And these two aren't lining up anymore. And so what, what I've figured out is that if I want to be in relationship with people, and I want to have a great relationship with my wife, how many of you know that whenever you live in close proximity to somebody, there are some times that you're going to have to have hard conversations? There are some things you're going to disagree on. There's going to be some things you'll even fight about, even with your husband or your wife. Now, what I know is that if I want to continue to have a great relationship with my wife, my fighting tendency needs to submit to the lordship of Christ. Otherwise, my fighting tendency is going to cause my marriage a lot of problems. It's going to cause my marriage a lot of drama. We learn things, don't we? Here's what I know about how Jesus lived. Jesus stood up for righteousness. Listen, Jesus was not one to back down from a fight. He took the fight to Satan. It is the reason we get to stand here as sons and daughters of the king. He bought our salvation by fighting the battle you and I could have never fought. We would have never been able to fight that battle. He took on that fight for us. One of my favorite stories in scripture is about when Jesus stands up between a woman who's caught in adultery and a mob that wants to stone her, and he looks at every person in that mob and says, if you're going to get to her, you're going to have to go through me. And not a one of them stepped up. Jesus knew how to stand up for righteousness. But Jesus never went looking for a fight, did he? The only fight Jesus ever went, <laughs> went looking for was the fight to save you and I. For every other individual... He dealt in love and selflessness. And he showed us what love and selflessness look like. And so my my fighting tendency, no matter when I learned it or who I learned it from, my grandfather's a great dude. I love my granddad. But my grandfather doesn't get to set my moral compass, does he? Think Think about some patterns of this world that we pick up. Like, just think about the gossip thing, right? We gossip about others because it makes us feel good. We learn, some of us from a young age, that we need to work hard and make a lot of money so we can have a lot of money. We were talking about this just the other day, this pattern of the world that says, hey, on your 21st birthday, go out and celebrate and drink. Why? To celebrate us. Think about the pattern of the world when it comes to dating right now. When, when You know what? We're going to date until we're satisfied instead of commit to a marriage. It becomes all about us. We share social media posts that we know are going to cause drama. Why? So we can get a lot of likes. We like to be sarcastic. Listen, in this day and age, sarcasm is like a second language. <clears throat> you get to be bilingual. When you're fluent in sarcasm, right? Sarcasm is just lighthearted hatefulness. And I don't think it has any place inside of the church of Jesus Christ. Not in this family, for sure. But we're sarcastic because we hope to get people to laugh with us, not at us. Right? There's a selfish motive that comes with these patterns of the world. None of these things are rooted in Christ. And if we're honest, none of these patterns of the world that we've learned help us to avoid drama in our lives my fighting tendency doesn't help me avoid drama 
So what do we do? Because we know that there are going to be times when we need to stand for righteousness. We know there are going to be times when we need to tell the truth. We know there are going to be times whenever we're in relationship and maybe we're just going to rub each other the wrong way. How do we handle these kind of situations? What do we say or what do we not say to avoid drama? Well, I would invite you to inspect tonight where your relational rules come from. Because you relate to people based on a set of rules that you think are right. Okay? You relate to people based on a set of rules that you learned from somewhere. And my question tonight is, are those rules based on patterns of this world or are those rules based on Scripture? Are they evident in the life of Christ or are they evident in past friends or family members or past relationships? We asked a question on ASU this week while tabling outside of the the UC. Check this out. We've got this up there. Um, Do we have this question, guys? There we go. Uh, We asked this question. When should you tell the truth? Letter A, when it won't hurt anyone. Letter B, when it won't hurt the recipient. Letter C, all the time, but be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. That one threw people for a loop. Matthew 10, 16. Go check it out. Um, We're about to. And letter, letter D, always, no matter who it hurts. You see, here's what I know. Some of you guys grew up in an environment where you told the truth as long as it wasn't going to hurt anybody. And really what you did was you learned that it was okay to not tell the truth or to lie. That's a relational rule. Okay? Some of you grew up in an environment where you said, no, you always tell the truth no matter what. I don't care who it hurts. I don't care what goes on. I don't care what happens when we tell the truth. We always tell the truth. And for that reason, you lack a lot of friends. If we're just being honest, you've made a lot of people mad by telling the truth. Look at what Jesus said. This is point number one, how to avoid drama. Number one, you choose your words wisely. Matthew 10, 16, Jesus said, Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. This is actually what he's telling his disciples as he's ready to send out his disciples into the world. And he tells them, listen, be careful with your words. Don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will help you out. Be innocent as doves, but shrewd as snakes. Now, that confused me when I was first saved. I didn't know what Jesus was talking about. But if you hope to be in close relationship with someone and you hope to continue a close relationship with that person you know you're going to have to have tough conversations and those tough conversations don't necessarily have to lead to drama but we're not in junior high anymore right like we ought to be mature enough to use some tact we we ought to be mature enough to to word things in a less offensive way so that we still get our message across an offended brother is harder to, to, to win over than a fortified city, is what Proverbs would tell you. How many of you guys have seen the Westboro Church signs? The whole God hates fags, all this kind of thing. We, we got a picture of them up here. Um, at least I think we do. Yeah. I think this is totally, um, I think this is totally insane that somebody would say, thank God for dead soldiers. Um, you hate your kids. GodHatesFags.com, and then man's job is to obey God. So let me get this straight. You want me to obey the God that hates me, hates my kids, 
and has zero love for me and is appreciative of dead soldiers. Is that the God you want me, me to serve? Right? You see, I'm, you see where the, the offensive language simply doesn't help the message? Like, this is absolutely ridiculous that somebody would actually think these signs are going to do any good whatsoever at turning people's hearts towards God. <clears throat> we choose our words wisely. Let me, let me give you, a, um, let me give you a, a little help here. To avoid drama, choose your words wisely. I'm going to tell you about the compliment sandwich. Has anybody ever heard about the compliment sandwich? Okay. Um, the compliment sandwich says this. You want to compliment someone, and then you give them loving direction or instruction, and then you compliment them again. Okay? So it works like this. If I were to come up to Justin Wells tonight and say, man, Justin, dude, you guys killed it tonight. I absolutely loved your worship set. That first song was a little bit loud for my liking, but dude, you guys killed it tonight. That's a lot easier to hear than, bro, that first song was loud. What are you doing? Like, there's this idea of a compliment sandwich that says, I should say something nice to you instead of just try to give you instruction or rebuke, right? There should be some loving correction inside of there, and we sandwich that together with compliments. We honor people. You might be sitting there thinking, well, the compliment sandwich sounds good, but listen, Heath, you don't know who I'm dealing with. Like, I don't really have anything nice to say about them. <clears throat> The old saying is, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. It's wrong. If you don't have anything nice to say, pray. Catch God's heart for that person. Figure out. That person is infinitely valuable to the Lord. In fact, he, that, that, that individual is so valuable, Jesus gave his life for that individual. <clears throat> they are still a son or daughter of the king. Listen, if you need help in this area, you should pray. Pray, pray, pray and catch the heart of God. And you, you dude, go talk to their life group leader. Go talk to their accountability partner. I assure you they have something nice to say about them because they love them with the love of Christ. They'll help you out. Avoid the drama. Don't go to anybody else. Go to their life group leader and talk to them about what's going on. And their life group leader might help you catch the heart of God for that individual. Which leads us straight to point number two, pray. We want to pray. Romans 12, 14 through 18 says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. That sounds like the opposite of drama, doesn't it? Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone's evil with evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is like the anti-drama scripture portion of scripture. No, you are not allowed to live with drama amongst your community of Christ. This is what Paul would say to us. How do we bless instead of curse. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Those who are persecuting you, how do we bless them? Best way to do that is through prayer. What does that look like? It means we begin to pray for them, not about them. God, did you hear what she said about me? 
Would you do something about that? God, that's, that's, that's making me so angry. I just don't even know what to do. God, I cannot believe that he would do that. Instead of, God, would you reveal your love to that individual? God, man, God, if we're just honest, I'm like, I'm really hurt by this person and by what they're doing. Lord, would you just reveal how much you love them? Just reveal to them your never-ending love to them. Lord, bless them with your peace. Bless them with your direction in their lives. Lord, bless them with your healing. I know they're hurting. It's why they're saying those things. Would you minister to them? You know, maybe we don't have the opportunity to like physically bless somebody, right? You probably don't want to write the person a love note. I get it. <clears throat> but we have the opportunity to pray for that person. And the easiest way to bless them is to begin to pray for them. Listen, I've watched Chi Alpha guys that hated each other before they were saved. Literally, in our church right now, two Chi Alpha guys that still go to church right here at San Angelo First, um, they were roommates before they got into Chi Alpha. They hated each other. And then they got saved in Chi Alpha and actually became really great friends. Because <laughs> God got a hold of their heart. They were able to forgive. They were able to take these kind of words to heart and begin to pray for one another, pray through those things that they had issues with. They actually today are, are great friends with each other. They didn't, they, they quit doing things according to the patterns of this world and they started doing things biblically. And God changed their hearts. Number three is this. Take your place. When it comes to overcoming drama, especially within this community, I'm going to invite you to take your place. Because here's what I know. Every single person in here is a little bit jacked up. Every single one of us is a little bit messed up. Every one of us has some patterns of the world that have been ingrained in us that Jesus is working to root out. We all have those things. Listen, every one of our leaders in Chi Alpha is messed up. Every one of our life groups has problems. And if you'll attend one, they'll really have problems, okay? It's... <laughs> Take your place. <laughs> I'm inviting you to take your place in a messed up, jacked up community that is really relying on Jesus to help us through some of this stuff. See, I, I'm inviting you to love others the way you want to be loved. I'm inviting you to forgive the way that you hope others will forgive you. To extend grace and mercy the same way Jesus extended you grace and mercy. So when we get that kind of community going on, when we have that kind of love that is shared inside of this community, Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, 5. He says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. See, this, this spiritual house that he's talking about He's referring to the temple of God, which in those days would have been the place that God's spirit rested. And he, and he calls us a, a, a temple, a building built with stones. 
So here's what I did. We don't have stones, but we've got some huge, like, Jenga blocks over here, okay? And, and we've actually used these on ASU's campus to go and, like, you know, during different events, whenever we want to catch people's attention, we'll be out here and we'll be playing, like, this life-size Jenga game, right? And it always catches people's attention. They're always, like, freaking out, especially when it falls because it goes boom, okay? And so everybody looks their way, right? But as it's going up, this thing, if you can imagine take half these blocks and keep stacking it, it gets really tall really fast. To the point you like need chairs and ladders to keep going, okay, and to, and to finish out this Jenga game. And the cool thing about it is that people will recognize this tower of blocks. And they'll, and they'll think, man, there's something cool going on there. I wonder what that is. And before long, we have an entire crowd of people that are just sitting around watching this Jenga game with these blocks that are stacked up to the ceiling, right? And that's kind of what Peter's talking about when he says, listen, we're all living stones. And we're placed in order. We're being built up into a spiritual house that everybody else is going to recognize, And when they recognize that, they're going to go, man, there's something cool going on there. And they're going to begin to see that that there's love inside of that environment. They're going to begin to see that, that, that forgiveness and the acceptance and the grace and the mercy and all those things we just talked about. They're going to begin to see that that exists inside of these living stones. And we become the place that God dwells. We become the place that when people look at us, they say, God's there. It's like this community exists to catch people's attention and bring glory to God. It's like we're a big stack of bricks or blocks. Now, do you think that if we are supposed to be a community that is built up to catch people's attention, to bring glory to God, do you think drama has any place inside of this community? Absolutely not. See, the, 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 the blocks look great when they're all stacked up, and man, they look even better once we start really moving them up and they start going and going and going. It, it's just, it's awesome to watch, right? But what happens when, like, some... Disunity comes into play, right? And all of a sudden, well, we're going to remove that block. We don't need him anymore, right? The Bible, the way that Peter talks about it, he says it's actually we align with Christ is our cornerstone. And as long as we're aligned with him, we're okay. But when we get out of line and we come over here and we go, oh, yeah, I just want to do my own thing now, right? (laughs) And then, You know, this guy over here, oh, this guy, he's something else, man. He's a real piece of work, right? That guy, he goes, yeah, well, I don't really need to, oh, wait, no, okay. Let's not do, no. That's as far as he got, okay? Um, But how about this guy? Oh, right here, looky there. Yeah, that guy. Actually, he wants to be on top. He's, He's all about himself, you know. Little drama never hurt nobody. When we come in and chaos and disunity and things like that take over, it's real easy to see how this thing just kind of 
It catches everybody's attention, doesn't it? But it doesn't look all that pretty anymore. See, what happens is when we allow drama to enter into our community, we become a pile of stones, not a building of stones. When the discord and the disunity and the chaos and the drama ensue, no longer are we something that people look at and go, I bet God's love dwells in that place. I bet the spirit of the living God lives in there. It's because according to the Bible, God no longer has a desire to live in buildings made of brick or rock. He has a desire to live in our hearts in this community. And this community is meant to be built up in line with Christ and Christ's standards, not the patterns of this world. When we align with Christ and his standards, we become a community that outsiders look at in amazement and go, there's something different about them. If they can love that way, I bet God can love me that way. If they're that accepting, I bet God's that accepting. They extend grace and mercy like nobody I've ever seen or heard. I bet God would extend me that same grace and mercy. We become the community in which the spirit of the living God lives. Drama has no place in that. That only aligns, that that only happens when we align ourselves with biblical principles. And so tonight... Here's what I'm betting. I'm betting that maybe some of your relationship issues stem from patterns of this world that you learned that don't adhere to biblical values. If there's drama going on, if there's issue within a relationship, it's because biblical principles have yet to be applied to that relationship. If we're living in such a way as as though drama consumes us, it's because we're living according to patterns of this world. Because there is iniquity in our heart. Not biblical concepts. Maybe your drama is with family. Maybe it's mama drama. Maybe it's friend drama. Maybe it's whatever. Listen, Ladies, you are not allowed to say as a Christian woman of God, I get along with guys better than I get along with girls. Jesus never gave you that option. And for some of you, that's a pattern of this world that you picked up along the way. But I don't think Jesus is okay with you saying, I don't like my sisters. things that we picked up in our past, the things that we learned that don't adhere to scriptural principles, tonight those things need to change. Those things are weighing us down and they're keeping us from a great relationship with others and with the Lord. You can pick up patterns of this world. You can learn things from your earthly father that you will apply to your heavenly father and they never, they're just simply not biblical. You'll develop ideas about who God is based on your relationship with your earthly father. That's a pattern of this world. I would challenge you 
to bring those things back to biblical principles, find out what the truth is, and live according to that. Jesus was crushed for our iniquity. Maybe tonight that verse might read, Jesus was crushed so my drama could be crushed. Maybe that verse needs to say, Jesus was crushed so that my relationships could be whole. I think that's what the Lord wants for us tonight.